The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Jack Barazzini. Hey, Jack. Hey, Dom. And Thomas Anurho. Hey, Thomas. Hey, Dom. And uh, Merry Christmas to you both. It is Merry Christmas. Christmas. It's still Christmas here. But uh, before we get started, I want to tell folks about another show on the network that I'm sure you'll enjoy. Uh, the, although I'm going to bet that a lot of you already listen to it, and it's called Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. And every week, uh, Jimmy and I, uh, we delve into some mystery, either natural or supernatural, from the perspectives of faith and reason, being neither credulous nor overly skeptical, just really digging in and using our critical thinking to look at all kinds of amazing mysteries, whether they are, have to do with the paranormal, with the faith and religion, with uh, historical mysteries, there's all kinds of things. And uh, you will definitely love it. Lots of people do. It's one of it's one of the top rated podcasts on Apple iTunes right now. So if you want to or Apple podcasts right now, I, I'm still stuck in iTunes. Uh, you can tell how old I am. So <laughs> check it out wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash mysterious. So speaking of mysteries, I want to talk about this mystery, <laughs> which is our first topic, which is the 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 New York Times had an article. Now, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with Elf on the Shelf. This is a thing that I I kind of missed because I was too old for it when it came out in the mid 2000s for it to be something that I was familiar with from my childhood. And I had hadn't yet had kids, so. I didn't have kids for this to be for them to be for this to be a thing for them. But Elf on the Shelf, for those of you who may not know, is this little uh, elf figure that's inspired by a book where the elf sits in your home somewhere and the parents have tell the kids that the elf is watching them on behalf of Santa. He's a scout for Santa to see if they've been naughty or nice. And uh, the elf sometimes will move around the house while they're sleeping or do all kinds of shenanigans and that sort of thing. But he's reporting back to Santa. And, uh, you know, it's I don't know if you like that sort of thing. That's that's fine. Uh, but some people are warning that it's teaching kids the wrong thing about. Privacy and being spied on by invasive big brother types and something yep. some yep. folks yep. might yeah and others might well would, would have responded well look i mean this is all good fun you know santa knows when you're naughty or nice and so that that's just part of it so i'm gonna throw it over to you guys what do you think about this is it is it training kids to to be okay with being monitored by a police state named santa <laughs> what do you think thomas <laughs> I've always worried about the uh, the man in red and um, him <laughs> always watching your every move. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. That's that's. And in fact, my wife and I have talked about this. Is we're 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 very careful when we talk about Saint Nicholas that while he he intercedes for us and he gives presents, we don't really talk a lot about the you know he's he, he's watching whether you're naughty or nice and will only give presents to nice kids and that sort of thing because. Mm -hmm. I think from a moral Catholic moral standpoint, that's kind of problematic too. It teaches a, a, a problematic lesson as well. 
Jack, how about you? What well, do you it's think? It's only be doing good. Yeah, yeah. It's only be doing good for a, for a reward. That's absolutely. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jack, what do you think? Well, we all know that uh, Calvin uh, has said that uh, Santa is a CIA spook. So that <laughs> ties into this. Um, <laughs> I, I understand I understand what they're saying in the article, but I do think that it's a little bit sensational. I yeah. think I think this is this would be analogous to me telling my five year old son that or me being worried that because my five year old son plays Mario, he thinks that it's okay to go outside and stomp on squirrels. Right. Like, right. I feel like it's this I think it's a similar kind of issue. Right. There's yeah. a little bit of the uh, the uh, video game panic stuff that we, mm-hmm. you know, if your kid plays violent video games, he's going to be violent uh, along those lines. So there's it does have a little feel like that. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, too. I think it's um, it, it's not really something that's 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 something we really need to worry about. But I'll be honest, I don't like the elf on the shelf. I think it's just in and of itself it's creepy right? yeah the, i agree this little toy that moves around the house that's always like watching <laughs> like it's the, the idea is just really weird so i have an alternative that okay. we found a couple of years ago that's fantastic it's called north pole ninjas mission <laughs> christmas okay now this is awesome because the book comes with an envelope full of uh tasks that the children are supposed to complete without being seen so they have to do it stealthily so they have to do some good without the other person knowing that they are doing that good thing. And it is absolutely fantastic. My kids love it. All of them, all the way up from the the 16 year old, all the way down to the youngest one that can understand what they're actually doing when they're being tasked with something. <laughs> um, and then there's like a little sensei plush doll that comes with it. So he's like the sensei elf. He's got big old long mustaches and stuff. <laughs> uh, and, and it's fantastic because what you do is you just take, you read them the, the thing about the North Pole ninjas and how they're there to do good and not let people know that they're doing good. Right. And then they have a, they have a list of tasks and you just take the task and read it to the kid. And it says like, um, go and help your sibling clean up their room without them knowing, or, uh, you know, pick up after someone when they don't realize that they've, uh, that they've left a mess or go give a compliment to someone or go hug someone, you know? So it's, it's really very, it's a very specific task. It's something that they can do without a big fanfare and then they get it done and then they, they bring the task back to you and let you know that they've completed it. And then you give them another task and you mm-hmm. just kind of cycle through it over the course of time. And it is a really, like, it's a really cute way to think about doing good without all the fanfare of, oh, well, I did this good thing. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Without expecting, you know, sucking up to Santa <laughs> so that, right. so that exactly. he, does, he gives you uh, presents instead of coal. Although, to be honest, given the cost of energy right now, coal might be something I'd want to get him stocking. <laughs> We've had that debate a few times in my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I get, I get that the, that the, the various people in this, the very earnest people in this article are trying to make a point about, and it's a good point. We need to make sure we teach our kids that, they need to that it's not okay for others to surveil upon you that there are you should have privacy in your home and privacy especially in your bedroom and uh it's not okay for others to be you know holding you to you know a standard by like big brothering you that sort of thing i get that but it does feel a little a little overly earnest and i also feel like it kind of it has that attitude um towards kids that basically that they cannot distinguish between what is a play game and what is reality. Like, yeah, I think even 
like a four or five year old is going to be able to understand that this little this doll he like he's not actually watching you it's part of a game um but then of course like this kind of like overlooks the whole issue we have with like um alexa devices or the google home or mm-hmm. even just like computers with webcams always off like there are actual problems that should be addressed and the kids need to be taught about but i feel like this just just distracts and also kind of muddles the issue because if they think oh this little this play thing that is not actually doing anything bad is is watching me then like what else is watching me and also how serious is it actually right mm-hmm. right because the elf is not actually watching you and reporting back and so you, right i think you make a good point there jack because we should be teaching the kids about the actual things that could be reporting on you like echoes and home pods or google homes mm-hmm. or webcams or like but by muddling it in with the the play the game you are you're in some ways you're kind of teaching the kids the opposite of what they're trying to do which mm-hmm. is that it's all part of the big game and that right. i think is a problem that's a good point so uh i think in just and from the from the other standpoint about I think I think what you mentioned, Thomas, about the, the the ninjas from the North Pole. I I really like that. It reminds me of certain um, devotional, uh, uh, not games, but sort of devotional projects that families can do, like in Lent and Advent, which are like the uh, the uh, the good deed jar and other things like that. Right. And mm-hmm. yeah, it it inculcates uh, virtue without a, a sort of selfless virtue. Um, right. Which I, I, I agree with. And I think that's actually, you know, to talk about because, you know, talk about what St. Nicholas actually the Well, the legends say he actually did by helping others and by giving away and giving things and what Christmas is really about, which is about, you know, generosity of, you know, first of all, the generosity of God to give a son to us to save us from our sin. But and then we emulate that generosity in being loving and uh, with others. And if you're doing that, I think you're you're okay. Mm-hmm. I have, don't forget punching heretics in the face. That's, <laughs> right, that's a really right. important part. Of right. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Um, I have to like add, put an addition on it. So the elf, this elf from the Elf on the Shelf, is not it does not have its origins in this 2006 book. The elf character itself, we had one when, when I was a kid, forty some odd years mm. ago, on our Christmas tree. And I tell you, that thing really did creep me up back then. <laughs> Long before, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's just creepy looking. I don't know what it is. It's got the, it's got that whole ventriloquist dummy aesthetic thing going on somehow. Or I don't know. It, that gave me the creeps. I feel like it would be like a, a this is like a Doctor Who plot. This evil toy elf that's watching me. It's actually evil. <laughs> oh my gosh! Think that is going to be a Doctor Who Christmas special one year. That's for sure. <laughs> Thanks for giving him that idea. Anyway. uh, all right, so yeah, let's move on from that. Uh, so, well, the Elf on the Shelf, no thanks, uh, but for the other, not that reason that they give. Uh, before we move on, I do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Kenneth P., Colin H., Elk Antennas, Chad B., and Kathleen G. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And to remind you, uh, SQPN is a 501c3 nonprofit, so your gift to us may be tax deductible, considering whatever your uh, tax situation is. And so as the end of the year comes up and you're trying to make some uh, charitable donations for tax purposes even, and to also just help support our 
our charitable mission, uh, keep us in mind. We'd appreciate it. So our uh, next segment, our next headline we want to talk about has to do with Alexa and uh, <laughs> behaving badly. Uh, this is a case where now the headline is Alexa tell, tells 10 year old girl to touch a live plug with a penny. Okay. So let's break it down. <laughs> this 10 year old girl asked Alexa to give her a, a challenge. And so the mom said they were doing physical challenges, like laying down and rolling over, holding a shoe on your foot and whatever. Um, and so she, the girl went to Alexa and said, give me a challenge. And so as Alexa sometimes does when he gets a request that it's not, that isn't a built-in function, it looks on the web. And so I found this on the web. And what it found was apparently the first thing that came up on whatever the web search was, was the penny challenge, which was a stupid uh, Darwin award challenge from a few years ago where you, you partially insert a plug like a, like a, uh, you know, a phone charger so that the metal prongs are exposed and then drop a penny on it, which is zinc and copper and thus conductive. And it would spark and you could burn your house down, frankly, and, kill yourself um people have in fact you know lost fingers doing that sort of thing and so it's extremely dangerous now the girl didn't do it uh the mom jumped in <laughs> no Alexa, no stop I, I i find myself saying that a lot uh these days uh <laughs> and to, to alexa because sometimes it does some weird things so and that this has become a thing like and then amazon of course has announced that they've they have uh, made sure that alexa will not tell people to do the penny challenge or and that sort of thing anymore which you know, duh and but is the the question is is this an alexa problem or is this something else that's that's a big question <laughs> um is 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 it a is it an alexa problem yes um is it a problem that this patch is going to solve this particular instance of it yes but not the larger problem of what exactly are you getting when you ask mm -hmm. Alexa for something that mm -hmm. it can't directly answer? That's not in its database. And right. that, that's where like, I think more of the issue comes in. And so a lot of people have been blaming, you know, machine learning or AI for this problem. And the, and the problem is actually that this is that Alexa is too dumb to figure out what was going on here. It's not smart enough yet. Exactly. Yeah. And, so, mm -hmm. and so that's the thing is like if if Alexa was a smarter device, it would have intuited from what they had just recently been doing that what this girl was asking for was a physical challenge because that was the information that it had been fed if it was paying attention you know to these things that were going on and then would have returned something in that same vein right and i and i just have to have to compliment netflix here because we were just talking about this in my house the other night we were searching we were on netflix and we were searching for um uh the grinch uh, how the Grinch Stole Christmas, because, you know, my kids were wanting to watch it. We knew it had been on there, so we were searching for it. And the returns came back with other Dr. Seuss uh, movies that were not the Grinch, but that they were still Dr. Seuss. And those were the top returns were like, you know, they, mm. they had the cat in the hat, I think, and, and one other. But um, that to me is incredible. That's an amazing intuitive system that that understands, OK, yeah, you're looking for the Grinch. And I know the Grinch falls into these categories. How can I respond with something that's similar enough, you know, that that maybe fits the bill, but isn't exactly what you're looking for since I don't have it. Right. And that's what was missing here is that level of algorithmic intuition. Yeah, I think it's 
it needs there needs to be a larger focus on the context of both what is being asked and also what is being returned because we wanted to get to the point where the AI is going to know not to tell you to do something stupid, like drive out in the trap. It's, you know, it's like the classic yeah. thing of like, you know, the whole, I followed my GPS into the, into the lake, into the ocean. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. That, that kind of thing. Um, and part of it is sometimes people are just going to be dumb and we cannot fix that, but we can, we can fix like a device returning, like a clearly dangerous thing to an impressionable child. Right. Well, and, and I, one thing I was thinking is this isn't specific to Alexa. This is a this is a mm-hmm. this is a search problem. This is a search because mm-hmm. if you went to Google, you might have got the same answer. The first the top answer might have been the penny challenge because the algorithm is going off of. Well, lots of people have been searching for this, apparently, or this has been big. And this is part of a larger problem, I think, with a lot of these algorithms out there is they 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 punish. uh curiosity and sometimes even imprecision because mm-hmm. you know like for example if I, if i'm if i'm scrolling through something i don't know on twitter or on instagram or whatever and i'm like oh that's interesting i, I have to stop or youtube is another one like if i watch a youtube video like uh i saw someone talking about this like oh i need to i need to learn how to change the battery in my car remote okay oh i have a 2013 Honda Civic, and that's my thing. Okay, watch that video. Great, excellent. So, uh, you know, YouTube, what what else uh, can I watch today? I'm really watching some videos on YouTube now that I'm here. How about these other 18 videos about changing the battery? No, I've already already changed the battery. I'm good on that, you know? And it sort of punishes uh, well, that wasn't about curiosity, but sometimes if like you're scrolling through things and you, you click on something out of curiosity, it decides this is something you're intensely interested in. And, and I feel like th- that all of these algorithms just aren't good. They're not, I mean, they're, they're yeah. better than not, I suppose, but they're just not all that good yet. I've had that problem a lot with the Google Explore uh, page on my phone where, you know, it gives you articles yep. based on what you've been reading, you likes. And like, I accidentally hit a link about like a football team one time and I have absolutely <laughs> no interest in sports. It's just not one of my things. So like, right now, I'm yes, constantly, and every time I get one, I hit like the little suggestion thing. I say, I do not show me articles about sports. What is the very next article? Something about sports. It's like, I, I don't, it's, at some point, I don't even understand, like, where is any of this intelligence going? Because these things seem to be so inaccurate. Right, right. Well, you've, yeah. A lot of it is they're getting, they're getting to a point where they're, um, they've forgotten the personalization part of things. And they've mm-hmm. started to use the hive mind to teach these algorithms. And as much as I don't want the highly personalized, you've been creeping in my closet. Uh, version of google i also don't want the well everybody's doing this so obviously that's what you're interested in right because 99 times out of 100 i'm not the (laughs) demographic for certain things right right Mm -hmm. yeah i mean what was i i was i was scrolling through something on instagram and it it threw up something like having to do with a cooking thing i don't know it was like a a weird recipe for you know, I don't know something I would never eat. Like, oh, that looks bizarre, and I and I would click on it. You know, to 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 see to you know the show me more information about this. The caption, and mm-hmm. then from then on, I was getting all this weird. Like, I I don't know. I don't. I'm not vegan. I'm not gonna. I don't want to eat that stuff. Don't show me that stuff. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a it is a real problem. Like the other one is the uh, 
the Amazon ads where mm-hmm. I I need oh I'm gonna I need a particular kind of uh um anchor bolt to to secure something to the wall. Okay, found it, bought it, boom. Would you like any of these fifteen other anchor bolts that, they, that I'm going to show you uh, all over the web for the next fifteen days? No, I've got the anchor mm-hmm. bolt. Thank you. Done. It's only one and one, <laughs> or or something like a toaster oven that you buy every fifteen years. You know, it's like I I don't need another toaster oven. Got got one, and it just <laughs> it, it's of sort of like the tyranny of customization, and this is why things like customized advertising that follows you around in the real world, you know, that sort of AR advertising mm-hmm. is, is terrifying to me that, that minority report advertising thing model. It terrifies mm-hmm. me because it just, I feel like I'd be inundated by this, this stuff everywhere. And that, that's just would be awful. It'd be hell. So, yeah. So in, in this case, you know, I kind of it's it's hard to it's hard to single out Alexa for this. This is this is not specifically an Alexa problem. In this case, it was Alexa problem. They they need to do a better job of filtering out the web searches when they when they are going to give you a web result. They need to do a better job of filtering out anything dangerous or inappropriate. Uh, but they all have this problem. So just mm-hmm. yeah. They also, I think there there needs to be some um, research done into the differentiating between an adult voice and a child's voice. Mm. It's not hard to do. Like, yeah. The, the, the audio capture of it should be able to do this. And so whenever you have a child asking a question, there should be a routing to like a safe filter that mm-hmm. that avoids exactly this kind of problem. I know exactly how they can train it to recognize child voices. They're the ones asking for all the fart jokes. <laughs> Cause like I'll come yep. into, I'll come into the room and there's my, te- my, my 11 year old asking Alex for more fart jokes. <laughs> so yep. yeah, no, that's a, that's actually a really good point though. They need to get better. I mean, they are already starting to recognize different voices, different adult voices. Like the, mm-hmm. the, uh, uh, the home pod can now, I think it's the home pod. Supposedly, although like like a lot of these other things, it's not it, the execution is not as good as the promise yet. But uh, supposedly, can distinguish between different adult voices in the home and, and give you what you want, uh, you know, the stuff specific to you. But they need to be able to do that with the kids. That's a good point. Uh, I think that's that would be mm-hmm. a huge ad- advantage. All right, so let's talk about this. Uh, the next headline, and this is one I've been saving to talk to you guys about because I knew this would be fun to talk <laughs> to you about. Uh, is fascinating story, uh, and it's kind of topical because uh, this past week was the thirtieth uh, anniversary, I think it was, of the uh, the 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 dissolution of the uh, Soviet Union and the end of the Cold War. And this story in let's see, the Bulletin of a, the Atomic Scientists website, so you know it's good already. It's called it, the headline is uh, an unearthly spectacle, the untold story of the world's biggest nuclear bomb. And the bomb, it was a uh, a nuclear bomb built by the Soviets in 1961 called they called Tsar Bomba, which is just a great name, mm-hmm. uh, which well, is they the, didn't actually call it that. I, I have to point out because that's a, it's a really cool factoid that comes up in, in the article that they didn't call it that. That was just a name that was appended to it by someone. Oh, Later. Okay. okay. All right. 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 It probably had uh, some Soviet uh, un- unhumorous name. Yes. And it, and it was so. It was the largest bomb ever dropped at fifty megatons. And 
They dropped it on Nova Zemlya, which is an island in the Barents Sea, way up, you know, in the Ar- you know in the Arctic Circle. It's <laughs> as far from anything as you can possibly be, which is probably good. But uh, they they released a video or video. They released the a film that was taken of the explosion. This was an above the ground explosion when they were still doing those things uh, in 1961, and that got released in 2020. And you can go to this article. We'll have the link in the show notes, of course, and you'll be able to watch the video. And it's kind of terrifying to watch. Mm. Oh, um, yeah. It, it It's just it's in some ways it's it defies the imagination. Like you just something you think it's, it's so big that it's hard to wrap your head around how big this explosion is. Um, and, and one of the great ways that they illustrate how big this bomb was is uh, they have a graphic, an infographic down the side of the, of the web page that shows like um, this, the, the relative sizes of different explosions like Hiroshima, Nagasaki um, and the kilotons. And they have like a little bomb to represent each kiloton. And Hiroshima's fifteen, Nagasaki's twenty uh, kiloton. Uh, the largest currently deployed U.S. warhead is one point two megatons, and they're like you know a couple inches, a few more inches. Uh, ooh, this one was big, Castle Bravo. And then Tsar Bomba is like just goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. So, what do you guys think of this? I'm I'm going on and on and on about this. What do you guys think about this <laughs> story? I always like seeing this kind of stuff declassified, like all this. Cold War uh, era, but both on the Soviet side and the American side, all the stuff that comes out like this just terrifying and also fascinating, almost in like a morbid way, like Mm -hmm. how close we got to wiping out civilization and also how much like manpower and time these people all over the world put into like, what is the best way we can just like completely destroy (laughs) other countries? Um, Right. It's it's one of those things where like it's it's terrifying, but you, it's kind of like you just can't look away from it because it's so interesting. Um, I would also say, uh, since we're talking about this subject, uh, the Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World episode um, number 12, the one yep. you guys did about the Soviet doomsday machine. That's a really good episode that covers the same kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. There was a there was a the Soviets had set up a system by which. uh automatic reprisals be launched if if contact was ever lost with the leadership of the Soviet Union. And mm-hmm. uh, Jimmy goes into that in that episode of several instances of how we came very, very close. <laughs> like there was one instance in the ni- early 1980s where a Soviet colonel disobeyed direct orders. Right. I, I was going to say it was, yeah. it was only out of disobedience that we didn't actually arrive at. Right. War. Right. And some people uh, say that was uh our Lady of Fatima, you know, the she had warned mm-hmm. that if we didn't pray and consecrate Russia to to her to her, the uh, didn't consecrate Russia to whatever uh, that you know the a war would come and that the 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 prayers are what averted it that got, gave gave him the grace and courage to resist when everything they had basically the Soviets have been getting were getting these notifications that America had launched missiles at the Soviet Union and so they needed to launch back. But there was an error in the system telling them that there was a launch. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, that may have been the catalyst, that scare may have been the catalyst for Gorbachev, Glasnost, and the eventual end of the Soviet Union and uh, the mm-hmm. end of the Cold War, because people are like, we've got to pull back from the brink. It's, I, I'll tell you, if, if 
if you are at all interested in nuclear weapons, um, there is a movie called The Atomic Bomb Movie, uh, narrated by William Shatner. And it talks about, it starts with the Trinity uh, mm-hmm. test, which was the original uh, test site for uh, the original bomb. And, and what they did was they stacked 100 tons of TNT on a tower and blew it up. Right. And, and videotaped it and took thermal readings of it and everything like that. And that was their... That was okay. This is where we're going to start our gauge from on on doing this. And so when they when they blew up the first bomb, they had no idea what was going to happen. Like they theoretically knew that it right. was going to be big, but they didn't actually have any kind of measurement for how big it was going to be. And then they blew it up. And and the scientists that talk about it, uh, especially like hearing Teller uh, Edward Teller talk about it, um, they they were they were shocked. They were stunned mm-hmm. at how big the explosion was, and that was an eensy weensy little bomb compared to some of the stuff that we got to and some of the stuff that we theoretically devised uh, as Mm -hmm. possible with the nuclear uh, technology that we have. So, yeah, this is a great article, by the way. (laughs) And that's what's terrifying about the the Tsar Bomba in particular, because this massive explosion they did was only half of its theoretical Mm -hmm. yield. Like, yeah, it could have gone twice as big. And again, that was that was because of uh, the scientists kind of feeling a little bit squeamish about the number of lives that he was going to affect with the yeah. radiation. And so he right. switched out the uranium in the secondary uh, with lead. And so it it, com- it converted the bomb back from being a massive bomb, which could have been 100 megatons to that 50 megaton range. In the. There was even concern that in, in, in fact, several different times when the development of nuclear weapons that a big enough bomb could ignite the atmosphere that you could right. mm-hmm. basically burn the entire planet to a crisp by, by setting off one of these bombs or, or destabilizing the the crust or all kinds of other things, you know, speaking of mysterious world, there have been speculations that uh, if we are being visited by extraterrestrials, whether you believe that or not, but if we are, that they seem to have this, this inordinate interest that, that these events seem to happen around nuclear facilities, places where we store bombs, and that maybe it's our fascination with nuclear weapons that it would be attracting intelligent life from off the planet. You know, if if again, if that's actually happening. And you can see why. Like uh these humans are kind of messing with something here. This is like attracting attention. Mm-hmm. One of the things They're I want inspectors. That's what's yeah. just coming into like, you know, okay, yeah, yeah that, that checks out. All right. Yeah, they're just yeah. a danger to themselves. So let's uh, <laughs> they're not going anywhere yet. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so the author of this article is Alex Wellerstein, and he has a website called NukeMap, uh nuclearsecrecy.com. And if you want to get a kind of a grasp on how big such a th- how big a nuclear explosion is, what it does is it pulls up a Google map. And you put, you tell it where you want it to to be centered on. There are some presets like Washington D.C. or Moscow or my hometown of Boston, or you can put in any uh, a site. There's also historical locations like the Trinity site in New Mexico and that sort of thing, and the Tsar Bomba site. Then you can enter in a yield, and Tsar Bomba, the 50 megaton, is available there, as is the Tsar Bomba 100 megaton. And then you can detonate it, and then you can do things like say, okay include casualties include radioactive mm. fallout and like if you detonate the 50 megatons are bomb on new york city 
it tells you that the estimated fatalities is 8 million. Yeah. And you see like the, the, it gives you like these different radii. Uh, this is the radiation, the radiation radius. This is the fireball radius. This is the heavy blast damage radius, like right up to the thermal radiation radius. And that's the furthest out it goes. That's within that circle. People, everyone in there gets third degree burns, which is bad. That's a bad, bad, bad thing. Third degree burns. And that in, like covers uh, three, four states. If you drop it on New York City. Yeah, it's insane. I think th this tool is great because it really it helps you visualize just how destructive this stuff is because it's, you know, when you hear like 50 megatons or whatever, right. like you, you get, it's big, but seeing this kind of thing, like with the, like what you're talking about with the, the thermal radius, like if I was like to drop that right in the middle of the city where I live, I would have to drive 45 minutes away yeah. before I got out of where you'd be getting third degree burns still. Like it's crazy. Right. Yeah. That's the, if you center it and you can enter in any, the name of any city, uh, and you center a bomb, one of these bombs on, you know, your the the nearest, the closest near uh, the city closest to you, and just so you get so that you know that area, you know what that is like, that you know how big of a, a zone it is, and it helps you visualize it. And it's kind of interesting to think because, uh, you know, as a Gen Xer, I grew up with the threat of nuclear war. Like this was a thing we lived with. You know, that hasn't been a thing for anybody, you know, who who was born in the last, say, 35 years or so, like it was mm -hmm. for, for us. And it, it's kind of amazing to have these tools and to have this history come out and to, to see how bad, bad nuclear weapons are and how we should not like how we need to pull back from that. Like it is bad. Like war is bad, but nuclear war is just dumb because <laughs> mm -hmm. nobody nobody wins. <laughs> It's a bad thing. So, uh, but it's good to read the history and it's good to keep that history alive because we need to remember how bad it was and how bad these things. But it's also, there's also a fascination with the technology that was behind us, the science mm -hmm. involved in this. And mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with being fascinated with that science and, and wanting to read about the history of it. Um, it is, it is kind of wild. And it's, it's like you, you said, Thomas, it's an excellent article. I'm, I'm, I really enjoy reading it. Um, it's yeah. it, it's a, it's lengthy, but this it's really good. Yeah, it is. Well, and, and I think the amazing thing to see here too is that the the science that went into these things is probably some of the best science we've ever done as mm -hmm. as a as a race as a group of people. Um, it, it's it rivals the the space science that had that went into going to space, and and the space science was even it wasn't even as solid because a lot of it was just so cavalier. They had no idea what was going to happen. <laughs> right, they just really right. didn't know. So they're like, let's just launch it and then we'll take some measurements and we'll figure it out. Yes, right. <laughs> and with, with this, after the, after the initial couple of tests, there was a lot of debate back and forth between the scientists about what they were going to do. And, and the scientists themselves were worried about, you know, mitigating all possible extraneous dangers right so they knew right. that these things were really dangerous they they got a little wide-eyed with it and they were like okay we need to know exactly what these are going to do before we even test any of them and so the, but they were they were down to the, the theoreticals were fairly accurate they knew before they blew these things up pretty much exactly what it was going to do yep and this is in the slide rule era. You know, this is not right yeah mm -hmm. well and that's one of the other fascinating things is how technology has really we we went from like blowing these things up in the atmosphere, 
Then we started doing them underground because we figured that was bad to do them above ground uh, to now they don't do they don't actually blow up nuclear bombs anymore because there's a test ban treaty, but also because they don't need to because the right. computer modeling has gotten so good and we know enough now about how this all works that they can just model it in a supercomputer and and get the information they want, which is kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I think the other thing to remember here is that this is a, this is a a coincidental, not necessarily a, a press a procedure of, but a coincidental development along with nuclear energy technology, which yep. is good because it it taught us the potential of danger that we had in in nuclear. Uh, you know, not just making as not just ramping up nuclear power as much as we could, but in the danger there are there is some danger there, right? Right. But then also how to control that danger to the point where we can have decently safe uh, nuclear power plants that are running nonstop. And and I think you can get bogged down in like, okay, well, there's two examples that we have in the history of nuclear uh, of nuclear tests or of nuclear uh, power plants. There's two examples that we have that are really bad, right? And there's a couple of other examples that are kind of bad. Yep. But for the most part, nuclear power is actually really safe. And it's terrifying when you think nuclear and all you think about is the bomb. Yeah. Uh, but to know that we have actually harnessed it to the point where we can use it effectively and safely because of all of the science that was done around these things. And, you know, it's funny because I'm a I'm a proponent of nuclear energy. I think it's it's the green it's the greenest of the green energies out there, frankly, uh, when you look at the, the, the costs of all the other kinds uh, that, that are there versus the return on that investment. Uh, but, yeah, when you, you know, there's there are your Chernobyls and your Fukushima's and your whatnot. But, you know, a lot of those things were when we didn't follow the science, when we didn't. Mm-hmm. Do, you know, take care of the things that we knew were bad. Um, right. Uh, so, you know. You'd like to think that we know better now, but, you know, we'd hope. But we learned a lot about how to create safe nuclear reactors that their tendency, the nuclear reactors are built with the tendency is to shut down as opposed to to go off, to go uh, critical. And that's mm-hmm. that that's a that's a big part of the learning process we've been been through. You know, uh, naval nuclear energy has been safe for over is it 60 70 years now actually i think it's close mm-hmm. to uh and uh as far as you know as far as we know the no you know at least in the u.s side we've never had a nuclear accident with a naval nuclear reactor so it's fascinating fascinating technology all right let's uh move on to our next headline which is uh so we go from the scary to the sad so this i don't is, know maybe it's scary, it, could be scary. <laughs> it is a bit scary i feel I, if i were this guy i'd be scared so back in 2013 there was this guy this british guy who had been mining bitcoin back in the early days of bitcoin um it, back when it was kind of almost worth worthless bitcoin and it was more of a hobby and he there's a whole long new yorker story about it but basically he was cleaning out his office and was throwing things away. And I've, I have done this. Like I, I never throw a hard drive away, but yeah, what what could it hurt? I'll throw this one away. He threw away a hard drive that he was sure had nothing important on it until later. He realized that there was, that he had mined 7,500 Bitcoin 
that was the key to that was still on that drive. And it had been thrown into the dump. And ever since then, he's been trying to convince his local town to let him find it, to dig it up, to find this this drive. Because 7,500 Bitcoin is worth about a half a billion dollars today. And he's even promised the town that he'd give it tens of millions of dollars if they would let him, if they would let him do this. <laughs> and the town just basically just says, no, like, nope, too bad. Uh, we don't want to do it. Um, and they give various reasons like a, you know, ba- the most basic one is we don't have a permit to dig up the dump. We only have a permit to put stuff in the dump. You have to have a separate permit to dig up the dump bureaucracy, of course. Uh, but also we don't know for sure that it's there. So we could be, digging it up and creating this environmental hazard for nothing um, and, and so on and so forth. And just you know, the guy, they, they think the guys are crank anyways, but he says uh, there was a quote from him that he, every time he thinks about it, he dies a little bit inside. <laughs> it, <laughs> and I, I could, I, I'm with you. What do you guys think of this story? I just, as someone who has a entire cardboard box full of all my old hard drives. I just, I would have never thrown away a hard drive in the first place unless I made sure that it was completely unusable beforehand. Yeah. So that, that's the part that really gets me. Like it's a, it's a sad story, but like, yeah, this is why you back up things. (laughs) Why? And and why, why is this, why, why is this usable? Like it it should be like one of those moments where you, you hit, you hit it with the magnet and you go, Oh, Oh no, it's wiped. And yeah, and it's wiped and you're done and that's it. And, and you just, you kick yourself for the rest of your life for, for losing that amount of money. But it, there's no way you're going to dig up a, a, a landfill and find a usable hard drive because you ruined it before you put it in the trash. Right. So, the, so obviously he didn't, he didn't follow proper procedures for disposing of a hard drive. That's clear from, from the beginning. So he's already shown himself to be somewhat careless with his technology yeah. and he's an IT pro. Um, I, I have a story and maybe a lot of people who have ever had crypto currency might have similar <laughs> stories, but I had about $1,500 in some, uh, minor currency, some fringe currency. I, I didn't put in, it wasn't any of my money that I put into it. I had been given it as a kind of a promo for signing up on a website and here's a bunch of coins in this currency. And it eventually became worth 1500 bucks. I'm like, so that's cool. So I wanted to move it to my Coinbase wallet. And I put the wrong number in somehow. And it's gone. Uh, $1,500. Just somebody, somebody got 1500 bucks in their wallet. And they don't know why, but <laughs> they, they do. So. Fortunate them. I, I, I remember selling a Bitcoin. I had a Bitcoin early on. It was oh. uh, I bought it at about $60 and sold it at about... 90 and was like, hey, I made 20 bucks on this thing. Woohoo. Yeah. How much is a Bitcoin worth now? 60 grand? Yeah. <laughs> made someone offer to give it. me one for free, like right at the beginning. I was like, that's dumb. I'm never going to need that. Why, like, why would you ever need that? Yeah. It's like 20 bucks on digital nothing. Sweet. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I ran my computer for a few hours and made 20 bucks. Excellent. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's, I was going to say, it's like, this it reminds me of the story of the uh, the what was it, the number six employee at Apple, so the 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 sixth guy to 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 be hired there. He was given stock options as part of his compensation in Apple in 1978, which was basically worthless. Um, a few years later, as the company gone public, it was worth some money. He sold some of his uh, stock to buy a car for his family. His family need, he needed a new station wagon for the family, 
And that station wagon today is worth about a billion dollars or some ridiculous amount of money uh, because, you know, the, the, the appreciating value of the stock that he sold. But on the other hand, he needed a car. Like, that's the thing is with these things. It's like, yes, there is that potential value someday, maybe whatever. But then there's also just the present need and present value. And you can't drive yourself crazy with the what ifs. Because this could, yeah, like just as easily have been like your your box of beanie babies that you didn't want to lose. And of course, those aren't worth anything anymore. It's, it's you know, right. you just never know. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Or the, uh, what was it? The, the priceless uh, mint comic books that my mom threw away when I was a kid because it was taking up space and it was a, it was a waste of time, you know, or whatever it is. Yeah. It's right. just, it, it is what it is. You know, that's, it's what it is. There, there was some discussion in one of the uh, art linked, uh, a linked video, for, I think from CNBC about, should there be a way for people to be able to recover lost keys, lost wallets when they've lost the key? Um, and the the guy they were talking to ca- kind of explained why. But what do you think? Like, should there be a a, a a way to to circumvent this potential disaster of losing your Bitcoin wallet key? I think it's kind of built into the. I think it's built into the blockchain that you can't. Right. And, I, and I'm right. And I'm pretty sure that if if you start messing with that. That because basically the blockchain is and is the way I, the only way I've ever found to explain it to people is like, okay, I, I made a picture and I'm going to sell this as my as my thing. Right. And I go to flip the picture over on the back and I sign my name with the date. Right. And then I sell it to somebody. And in order to sell it to somebody, they're going to write over top of my name their name with the date that they buy it. And then the right. next person who buys it from them is going to do the same thing, same thing, same thing. Well, as soon as you get out of that track especially with um some of the some of the less complicated the earlier bitcoin the earlier ones like bitcoins um you can't branch that at all and so if you gave a person a way to recover their key you're branching that mm-hmm. uh bitcoin at that point and you you can't do that because then it ruins all of that other signature pile up that mm-hmm. develops over time right and so it's kind of built into the system that you can't like if you lose this stuff you've lost your your ride along with all of the bitcoin the point of it is the security right right i mean and that's it's like with your uh your your password manager you know that if you if you if you build a backdoor into your password manager you've you've you it's no longer secure right. you know mm-hmm. just or, or that's apple's <laughs> argument for not putting backdoors into the iphone if you put a backdoor in someone will find it and someone will use it right so you might as well not have a security at all so yeah i i agree Man, half a billion. I, I mean, if I, if it were me, I'd be wanting to dig it up. <laughs> I'd, I'd be offering them, you know, ninety percent of that to, to, to let me dig it up. Maybe if he, uh, if he digs deep enough in there, he'll find some of those ET cartridges too. <laughs> the fa- the famous go. landfill <laughs> ET cartridges and an Apple Lisa. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. Well, it, 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 it could be an interesting like treasure hunter sort of thing where where he could. You know, some treasure hunters could come in and partner with him because the the fact is, is no one can even if someone else finds a hard drive, they can't decrypt it, the the, mm-hmm. the wallet without his password. So hopefully he's still got that. <laughs> we can presume he's got that at least uh, the password. I can just imagine getting the hard drive back. You get it all cleaned off. You stick it in and you're like. Oh, Wait, what, what was the password? What was oh, that password again? Oh, <laughs> right. Password. Where's the sticky? Where's the sticky note? <laughs> <laughs> landfill. To the landfill. 
<laughs> oh man! All right. So uh, yeah, I, I I've, I've thrown away things I've I regretted, but never anything worth a lot of money. So <laughs> all right, that brings us to our picks of the week. So uh, Jack, I'm going to let you go first with your pick of the week because this looks interesting to me. Awesome. Uh, my pick of the week is an app for uh, Mac OS. It's called Magnet, and it's it's a pretty simple um, app. Really, all it does is it gives you really good uh, customization for snapping and arranging your windows on your on your screen, whether or not using just one, like your laptop screen, or if you have up to, I think it's up to six monitors, you wow. can move them around and it does really good things. Like it can detect your resolution natively. So like if you do the thing where you got your monitor vertical, you can like snap them vertically. And it's, it's a really good organization tool. And it, it brings in one of those features that is one of the only things I miss from windows, which is they have pretty good uh, built in intelligence snapping for windows. And that's not something I've found built into the Mac, but this app really, uh, really does it well. It's only eight bucks on the app store. And I feel like it's already paid for itself just in the amount of t- uh, productivity I've saved, not manually moving around my windows and getting them where I want them to be. And can you set up uh, workspaces? So like you, you can use a hotkey to make all the windows move into a particular place. And Yeah, you can like set up a, a like, I think it's up to 10, but it might be more than that. Um, different uh, hotkeys where you just hit that and it's going to put it where you want it to be. Oh, cool, cool. That would be useful. Like, cause I, I like to set up my windows differently depending on what I'm doing, whether I'm like recording a mm-hmm. podcast or working in spreadsheets or that sort of thing. Um, and having the windows rearrange automatically like that would be really useful and not overlapping. That's that's one of the things that always bugs me is is like, where, where's the window? It's it's under there somewhere. There's like eight windows on top of it. Uh, right. So yeah. That's that's again. That's like you said. That's one of the things from from. Microsoft Windows that is uh, an advantage over the Mac that we don't have on the Mac natively. So good pick. Uh, Thomas, what have you got? All right. So uh, mine is actually a Christmas gift from my wife. Um, she is she sleeps later than I do. I, I'm a very early riser. I'm very late to bed and also very early riser. I just don't sleep much, honestly. Um, and uh, my alarm sound startles her awake to the point where she can't get back to sleep or she has poor sleep after I uh, wake up. So she was tired of it. (laughs) (laughs) And so she got me a Christmas gift related to it. Uh, It's a Philips wake up light. And it is this uh, dome shaped light that sits by your bed and you set it for whatever time you want to wake up. And it gradually over the course of 20 to 40 minutes brightens up as uh leading up to your alarm so you know 40 minutes before 20 minutes before you set your alarm it starts to brighten up and starts off with this dim red nice soft light and then it just gets brighter and brighter and brighter until you really do feel like you're waking up uh to the sunrise and it then plays a sound at the end so it'll either turn on the fm radio or it'll play one of five preset nature sounds um and you can set the volume of the sound and set the the, the brightness of the light, the, the intensity of the light as it as it comes in. And it is fantastic. I I I like the concept, but the execution is amazing. You really do like you wake up before the sound goes off. There's mm. you don't even get to the sound. You just wake up naturally because the light is bright enough that it just starts that process of you wanting to get out of bed. And you actually are awake by the time it gets done. And so you get out of bed and are ready to go. And you don't even have to, you can just turn the alarm off at that point and say, I don't even want it to, <laughs> to play the alarm sound because it's bright enough and, and has done all of its work. Wow. 
And it's the perfect Christmas gift because it's a gift your wife is giving to herself, but exactly. she can claim it's for you. So that's awesome. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it was a wonderful, wonderful gift. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, My wife has a lot, is very light sensitive when she sleeps. I wonder if this would be a problem for her if I got this for me. So it'd be interesting mm. to see. But I, I like the idea because I'm also the, the first riser in my in my uh, bedroom. And um, it would be kind of nice to rise to that instead of the the alarm, you know. That, right. And then you, any, any kind of jarring sound. Yeah. Because yeah. if it's going to wake you up, you know, it's going to be jarring. Right. Yeah. Yes. And, then, and then you snooze. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so, right. And this one does have a snooze function, too. And so when the snooze function on it is that it dims the light down a little bit and then comes back up and plays the alarm sound again. Uh, but but I presume that, like you said, it wakes you up gradually so that you wake up before the alarm even goes off. So you probably are going to snooze, right. hit the snooze less. I didn't really like I, I will normally shut it down or shut it off and then find myself, you know, 20 minutes later going, oh, man, I was supposed to be up already. Um, and I didn't feel like that at all. I, I got up before this one and I just went ahead and turned it off so that she could keep sleeping, got out of bed and was fine. Cool. Excellent. So uh, my pick is an app that uh, for the Mac that is a bit specialized, but I, it's just it's really handy if you if it's the sort of thing you need then this is the definitely you you will be happy to have it it's called pixel snap and what it does is it lets you measure things on the screen so if you work in any type of graphical so like if you're a programmer and you're designing user interface if you're designing websites if you're working in the uh, other images it will let you measure pixels on the screen distances how how far is it between these two screen elements how big is this box uh and it will even work with with photos and it and it's smart about recognizing different screen elements it's really kind of neat and uh it's i've used versions of this like of d different kinds of the, this type of uh app before but uh, this one works pretty well and it's really nice and it's really precise it's, well that's one of the things that I, I like about it and um it snaps to the measurements and all that sort of thing so if you if you ever need to design or or do any type of uh screen uh measurements user interface that sort of thing this is perfect for you it's 39 dollars, so it's not cheap however it's available as part of setup so if you have the setup subscription service it's built into that and i've said before setup is like netflix for um, mac applications and so one flat fee and setup is growing all the time more and more apps uh, to the point where I realized that I was spending more on upgrades of software and you know maintaining the software than the setup cost. So setup it was was the uh, was the way to go for me. But uh, but and the the pick though is Pixel Snap Two. Uh, so uh, that's at pixelsnap.com. So that's my pick this week. All right, I think that'll do it for us. We would love to hear from you, your feedback in our discussion. You can comment on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page, facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or send an email to technology at sqpn.com. And of course, we'll find you'll find links from our discussion and our picks of the week in our show notes at sqpn.com. Remember to like each episode of Secrets of Tech on our Facebook page, retweet them on Twitter, where we're at SQPN, and we love to hear from you on social media, so be sure to reach out and send us your comments there, too. Until next time, Thomas Senorho, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. It's been great. And Jack Barazzini, thank you as well. 
Thanks, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest, and Happy New Year, everyone. Hi, everyone. This is Dom Bettinelli, CEO of StarQuest, with a special message as we approach the Christmas season. This past year, the StarQuest Network has continued to expand our mission of exploring the intersection of faith and pop culture through our many entertaining and informative programs. Now we need your generous financial support to reach new audiences with more of the life-changing and uplifting programming we've been creating for more than a decade. That's why it's very important that we hear from you this Advent and Christmas, the time when nonprofits receive most of their support for the year. If you are already a supporter of StarQuest, we thank you and ask you to prayerfully consider increasing your support at this time. If you're not yet a supporter, please become one now. Every gift counts. Could you give $15 or even just $10 per month? Whatever level of support you can offer, please show your support for SQPN this Christmas. And remember that your gifts may be tax deductible. Just go to sqpn.com give. That's sqpn.com give. May God bless you this Advent, and may you have a blessed Christmas season.